time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, March 26th, 2021. Happy Friday to everyone out there. The last Friday in the month of March, where has this month gone? Just flown by. We've had March Madness and spring training baseball and NFL uh, free agency talks to kind of get us through the the month here. But I mean, I, I blink and all of a sudden it's gone. April is right around the corner. And that means baseball season. Yes, the college baseball season has been going on for a couple months here, but uh, I think a lot of people tune into Major League Baseball and they're excited around the country here. All 30 teams ready to have uh, fans in the stands on a limited capacity. But uh, this time of year, last year, we weren't sure what was going to happen and uh, everything was getting canceled. And it's just nice to know that baseball will kind of bring us back hopefully into some form of, of normalcy, right? Uh, fans in the stands is a big deal outside. And uh, I know Dodger stadium has had some announcements about their protocols and things, you know, the little things like only 20% capacity. And uh, I think it's cashless at the stadium, prepaid parking, all that stuff. But you know what? People are hungry for baseball and they're ready to, uh, to get out to games uh, to have a hot dog, a beer, a soda, a slushy, a cotton candy, whatever, whatever floats your boat to watch some baseball. So uh, I know that today's guest on the program is a big baseball fan. Uh, she kind of is uh, guilty by association, if you <laughs> if you will. Um, she comes from a great baseball family. Uh, our guest today is Julian Barrett. She's a mother of five. She is, uh, you know, the matriarch of the the Barrett baseball family. Uh, her husband, Cole, is a big-time Atlanta Braves fan, and uh, he has uh, corrupted his children. I'm only kidding, Cole and Julene. Just kidding. Uh, the entire Barrett family, big Atlanta Braves fans, despite living in Los Angeles County out here in Southern California. But, hey, we won't hold that against them. Uh, very good people, uh, the Barrett family. Cole and Julene and the five kids, uh, great kids, all went through uh, real Hondo prep. So did Cole and Julene. So uh, you're going to get some stories here about uh, real Hondo prep, kind of the background, the upbringing, and uh, and this and that. But you're also going to hear from Julene talking about two really amazing men, and they have since passed on. But her father, Philip Ostergaard, was just a very passionate um, uh, evangelical. I don't I don't know how else to really describe him. I, I will kind of uh, won't do it justice, but just a very passionate um, person regarding teaching God's word to kids and just someone that was, was really a, a, a big part of the foundation of care youth league and boys, Christian league, girls, Christian league, all that, that, that led into care youth league and then real Hondo prep. So you're going to hear about um, her father, Philip from her perspective, as well as her uncle, Francis Ostegard, Philip's brother, again, a passionate, a man uh, who gave his life to Care Youth League and serving others. He was the pastor of uh, Care Youth Church for many years. So I kind of wanted to get some perspective on those those two men. She's going to talk about their their service in World War II, kind of 
you know, their background and everything. Some stories really that many of us who are affiliated with CARE and Rio might not have known. So I appreciate Julene talking to me about that. And uh, we'll also talk a little little bit of baseball. I know it's tough being a Braves fan from 2020 or any time really after the uh, the Dodgers uh, came back from that three to one series deficit back in uh, October. But there's I will say this about the Barrett family: they are they are proud fans. They uh, they are passionate. They are very much uh, loyal to their Atlanta Braves. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, and uh, we'll get right to that after a few words I have to say here, but I didn't tell Julene this, but it hit me after I recorded with her, you know, there's two major league baseball umpires out of the 68, uh, that, that work baseball where their last name is Barrett and you know, Barrett's a unique, unique last name. You, you hear it, but it's, it's not like Johnson or Smith or whatever. So I forgot to tell Julene that, that there's two major league baseball umpires, Lance Barrett and Ted Barrett, no relation. Uh, two two different guys, and uh, I thought that was rather interesting. And so, to the Barrett family, there's two major league baseball umpires out there that share your your last name. So I thought that was pretty special, and want, I wanted to mention that. Uh, Ted Barrett is a, a former boxer, and he is a very very passionate. Uh, I said passionate a million times today already, but excuse me, uh, Ted Barrett. He uh, He's a, he's like a, a minister, mind you. I've seen, I've been at weddings where he's officiated the wedding, just a, a very great man of God. And Lance Barrett, a younger guy who uh, was hired a few years ago, full-time was one of my first instructors or that chief instructor when I went to umpire school. So a great guy himself. He's from Texas and uh, just two great guys in, in the, the major league baseball umpiring world that I thought I would mention since the Barrett family, uh, again, no relation is a very much a baseball centered family and they like other sports too i don't want to get away from that uh, you know their nfl loyalties cole's a big michigan fan so he's got the atlanta braves down there and then i, I can't wrap my head around all these uh, logistics of this fanhood but uh now great family and i wanted to mention the major league baseball uh well i don't know if that's a connection but i thought they would find that interesting as uh, not many people are fans of umpires but hey when he shares your when they, two guys share your last name maybe they will uh, keep an eye out for him and not yell at those guys as much <laughs> anyway we'll get to the Julian uh Barrett interview here shortly but first a few words i wanted to say um you know I, <laughs> being in a relationship is interesting it, it really is and i mentioned Valerie on here a few different times but man the whole male female connection is is so interesting we we are we are we are very different, right? Male and female, and our interactions are so funny. And and I I my interactions with Val on a daily basis are quite humorous to me because it's always the days are always fun. And I hear her say something that I just kind of like chuckle at, such as uh, we were getting ready to leave the other night and to head out, and I said, "Oh, there's four minutes left," in the, or maybe we were making dinner, whatever it was. It was a college basketball game. I go, there's four minutes left, four minutes left. She goes, that's not a real four minutes. (laughs) I don't know why I found that funny, but to the ladies out there who maybe are not sports fans, I, I, I feel your pain. Yeah. Us us guys try to give you an estimation and uh, you know, that's not a real four minutes. Yeah. Basically in sports talk, you got to double the time, at least double the time that's on the clock. And with baseball, there is no clock, right? So there's really no estimation there. You can count outs, outs maybe. Oh, six outs left, nine outs left. 
But again, what does that really mean? And before the game even started, we were doing something. Her back was turned. I think I turned up the volume to a basketball game. And she, and she kind of, I saw this panicked look on her face. She goes, before turning around, she's like, why does that sound like football? Like, <laughs> she just panicked by the fact that uh, there was more football on because she knows how much I love football. And it was this concerned voice. And I just told her, and after both of those quotes, I said, you know what? You just got podcasted. I got to I gotta spread the word on, on these two instances. And so uh, it's always fun hanging out with her. Oh, one last thing. Uh, we, now, Val, thankfully, when she says I'm fine, she means it. But <laughs> I do know that for most men, when you hear those four words, fine, I am fine. No, it's fine. Uh, beware. And she said fine the other day. And I turned and she said my face got like white as a ghost. She could tell I was worried about, oh, no, you're not fine if you're saying I'm fine. Uh, but, but she was like, no, 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 I, I mean it. And she laughed. She goes, you poor men, what we do to you guys and how we make you overthink sometimes. I'm like, well, that's probably because we underthink most of the time and uh, you guys bring out the best in us. Anyway, enough of the relationship stuff from me. Um, I won't get too much into more of that, but I thought I'd share because there's funny instances, man, when you're in a relationship and it really does make make everything fun. Before the interview here with Julene, I want to give a couple picks here for the Sweet 16, which should be played today, but with scheduling and everything, it's moved to Saturday, Sunday, and the Elite Eight, Monday, Tuesday. So I hope you guys are ready for some basketball this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's go uh, first on Saturday, the matchup of, of Cinderella's really. Number 12 seed Oregon State and Loyola Chicago from the Midwest region. Uh, one of these teams has to lose, unfortunately, and have their season end. Uh, I really like what I've seen from both teams. Uh, I gotta say, I love Oregon State, and I excuse me, my buddy Todd Carson and his his wife, who is an alum from Oregon State. I have to say, I I, I like what, what I saw more from Loyola Chicago. I think they have been more uh, consistent. Oregon State has had some great wins over over Tennessee, and I can't remember who else they beat. Uh, but uh, man, go Beavers, go Beavers! They are uh, doing doing great in the tournament thus far, and I think. Um, Man, it's it's going to be quite a run. So uh, forgive me again. Forgive me. It's just a pick. I think um, Oregon State, or excuse me, Loyola Chicago will take down Oregon State after or- o- Oregon State beat Oklahoma State last weekend. So a couple of great wins, but uh, that's my pick for this first one: Loyola Chicago, Villanova, and Baylor. I think Baylor is a heavy favorite here. I don't see where much changes there. I will go with Baylor over Villanova, a one over a five in the South region. That is the second game of the day on Saturday. I think Baylor's just so athletic and so explosive. So uh, I, I think they continue on with their 24-2 season, make it 25-2 and going forward. All right, my first upset. I love, love Oral Roberts University, the 15th seed out of the South to defeat number three seed Arkansas. Again, Arkansas, very good team, very good, uh, well-coached. But I think Oral Roberts – takes down Arkansas, and the magic continues in the Sweet 16, like what I've seen so far. So, uh, yeah, go Oral Roberts, the fighting uh, Golden Eagles, I believe. That takes us to the final game Saturday. We will watch the 11 seed Syracuse go up against number two seed Houston in the Midwest region. Uh, this is a tough pick because it's tough to go against Jim Beheim and his team. Um, they really do they, – they are – 
they can put up points in a hurry. Got some sharp shooters for sure. Houston, a two seed, 26 and three. It's had a great season. Ah, really tough one to pick here. They got a good coach in um, Coach Sampson. Ah, uh, what do you do here? What do you do? Uh, I got to go with Syracuse and Coach Bayheim after the explosion I saw against San Diego State. I saw um, them just putting up threes left and right. They couldn't miss. I think they have a little left over. Houston's favored by six and a half and well coached, but I got to go with Syracuse. Tom Bragger, I know he's he's maybe listening and he. He's a big, uh, huge supporter of the Syracuse Orangemen, and uh, I do want to make that pick uh, begrudgingly. That's a tough one. It's a toss-up. Maybe Houston will blow him out. I don't know, but I'm going with the Syracuse Orangemen. All right, that takes us to Sunday. Some kind of West Coast flavor here uh, on on Sunday with uh, not only USC and UCLA playing, but Oregon playing Crate, or excuse me, Gonzaga playing Creighton. So a lot of all three games, three of the four games, I should say, are West Coast uh, flavored. Uh, the first game of the day, Creighton against Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga's had a wonderful season, twenty-eight and zero. Creighton has played well, but I got to go with the Bulldogs, going with the Zags to get to twenty-nine and zero and get into the regional final. I just think they have too much going for them, and uh, with their coach Mark Few kind of leading the way. I don't think they are going to take anyone for granted. They're going to be prepared and play well. Okay, Florida State and Michigan, a four versus a one in the East region. I think in honor of our guest today and her husband and the Barrett family, who are big Michigan fans, I got to go with the Michigan Wolverines. I think they will uh, continue to be the, the only shining spot for the Big Ten that's had a horrific uh, men's tournament here. I think Michigan Wolverines take down the Florida State Seminoles. That brings us to the back-to-back L.A. games, UCLA and Alabama. UCLA, an 11 seed, Alabama, a two seed. This is in the East region. Alabama's favored by six and a half. I am going with the UCLA Bruins. I think the Pac-12 stays hot, uh, despite my pick against Oregon State. Sorry, Beavers. I got to go with the Bruins here. I think they have put together, uh, let's see, three wins here in the tournament because they played in the play-in game. They've looked impressive. I think they take down the two-seed Alabama Crimson Tide and advance to a regional final. And that will bring us finally to the last game of the weekend, the West region, Oregon against USC. Ah, this is tough to pick. USC's favorite only by a basket. Um, Oregon looked really, really good. They've played one less game than uh, everybody because of the the COVID uh, game against, uh, who was that, VCU. And so I think uh, they are well-rested and they've played USC. This will be the third time, I believe, unless they played in the Pac-12 tournament. That I'm not sure. But I'm going with the Trojans. I think Evan Mobley and company will take down the Oregon Ducks. I'd like to see them both advance, but unfortunately uh, somebody in the the Pac-12 in this game has to lose. And uh, I am going with uh, USC to take down Oregon in the uh, Sweet 16 and advance to the Elite Eight. First time since, man, when was that? The early 2000s, I think USC with Brian Scalabrini, um, Brandon Granville. Who else was on that team? Uh, Big power forward that I remember from that team uh, who was really studly. I thought he played in the NBA a little bit. Anyway, USC played Oregon back on February 22nd and beat them 72-58. to 
I'm not seeing another matchup. Maybe they did, and I just don't see it. Anyway, uh, USC, I got them winning this game uh, over Oregon. Even though Oregon's you know, played really well, they've gotten hot and at the right time, but I think USC is, uh, is too much. I think it'll be a close game. It'll go down to the wire, but I got USC beating Oregon on Sunday to wrap up the Sweet 16. I'll try to make more predictions on Monday regarding the Elite Eight so I don't look too far forward, but that's what I think is going to happen. And I can't wait to sit down and watch some basketball this weekend after getting off of work in a timely manner. Okay, that's it for me. Enough of me rambling. You don't want to hear too many more of my picks. Uh, But anyway, it's been a privilege to bring you this podcast another week here at the in the books and uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this conversation i had with julene barrett she's a very kind person someone who talks about her her classmates and uh, growing up and it's just it was a lot of fun so i'm very much looking forward to you guys hearing that so it's time for me to step aside and let you guys hear our long form interview conversation that i had with julene barrett Okay, today I'm joined by Julene Barrett. She is a member of the class of 1988 from Rio Hondo Prep, uh, a mother of five and a wife to uh, a long haul uh, trucker, we'll say, in Cole Barrett. So lots to talk about uh, with Julene here. Julene, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. So, Julene, I've heard that uh, you 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 listened to this podcast uh, a time or two uh, with some of the feedback you've given me. Uh, do you kind of tune in to some of the RHP graduates and alumni? Yes, I do. I like to see, you know, what they're doing nowadays, and I like to hear the stories, and especially of the stories of people I grew up with. So that's always fun to hear. Yeah, it's, I had no idea when I started this that it would kind of lead to that, but I, I enjoy just people's journey and, and hearing their stories from when they were little to where they're at now. And of course that uh, magical time for all of our lives that for those that went through real Hondo prep, um, who are some of the people you've listened to that uh, you really liked uh, over the past uh, few months or so? Well, um, obviously uh, Ken Drain. Um, he's mm. very special to our family in many different ways. Uh, Landon Goodwill, uh, Devin Drain, Mark Carson, Todd Carson, Dave Carson. Um, of course, Dave and I literally grew up together. So, you know, it's it's fun to hear them speak and whatnot. Um, it's always fun to listen to some people that were older than me because I remember them, you know, as a younger kid. So, um, you know, it's just a lot of fun to hear all the different things that they're doing and have done and what their perspective was on growing up through the program. Well, well, you know what's fun for me is to hear stories about people that you know now. Like I know Dave Carson is just this kind, gentle, wonderful, God-fearing man. Uh, but I've heard that, you know, I like hearing the backstory of when guys were growing up and maybe the <laughs> shenanigans of uh, of younger days. I mean, to, to know that uh, these very impressive people were all just kids like like me uh, and you and all of us one one time. It's fun for me to hear. That's what I've enjoyed probably most about this. So you might have to share some stories about some of the, your, your uh, the people your age, what they were like in high school and, and uh, you know, youth program. No, no pressure, no pressure. But, uh, <laughs> I may have to be careful on some of that. But, yeah. 
I won't tell anyone. I promise. Uh, <laughs> no, the podcast has been fun. It's fun chatting with everybody. And, and you and I will talk from time to time, seeing each other at, at football games and such. So right. uh, always, always fun chatting. Um, so anyway, where do we start, Julian? Let's start. Okay. So you, um, your parents, uh, Philip and Irma Ostergaard, I think mm-hmm. anyone who's been through Real Hondo Prep or Care Youth League knows those names. I mean, it's right. Mrs., Mr. and Mrs. Ostergaard, just incredibly uh, classy people. Um, what can you tell me, I guess, about, we all knew them as the leaders and the teachers and everything that they were, but what were they like as mom and dad? um well you know as a kid you always take your parents for granted um but as an adult I uh really realized the sacrifices they made um my mom was the sweetest woman ever uh you know she um literally gave up her life in Idaho when she married my dad in 1955 and left everything she knew came down to Southern California um, uh, to start a new life with him. And of course my dad was, oh, I can't say enough great things about him. Um, was just the most amazing man ever who would do anything for anybody. Um, no matter if it took time out of his day or what, he would literally drop whatever he was doing to help someone else. Um, Mm. they were, um, strict parents, but yet, let us make our mistakes. Um, (laughs) They uh, usually with my dad, if you did something once, you didn't do it again because the backside (laughs) of his hand on your behind uh, was not something you wanted to revisit. Um, My dad was definitely the one who disciplined. Um, I was a little troublemaker. I was in trouble all the time, but um, my mom was very quiet. Let my dad handle all that. But uh, um, yeah, it was kind of a little different at home versus what he was like with everybody else. Um, but, uh, he was quiet and gentle in his discipline, but yet you knew not to do it again because <laughs> you didn't want to <laughs> suffer that spanking. <laughs> well, I, I gotta tell you, it sounds like, you know, uh, we, we could use more of that these days if, if you got to ask me, but, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think, uh, I was fortunate to have parents with a similar mindset. Uh, so I thank them now, uh, not so much back then, but, uh, you know, Mr. F- your mom, uh, Mrs. Ostergaard, you, you're right. hundred percent. So kind and just thoughtful. I never had the privilege to, uh, you know, learn the piano from her. I know she taught a lot of that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and your, your dad, Philip Ostergaard, I mean, what can you say about him from, a, from a kid growing up in care youth league and seeing him at Mount care, he was larger than life to so yeah. many young men at, at Mount Care. He had yeah. his visual aids were amazing. He had uh, uh, the, the harmonica, of course. And it, I just felt like he shouted every time he was talking. And you're just like, man, who is this guy? I felt like, yeah. oh, so, so uh, I was, it was incredibly cool for me to go up to Mount Care recently and see that the lodge uh, up there had been renamed to Philip. Ostergaard Lodge. Uh, yeah. What can you tell me ab- about that uh, experience and finding out about that that was going to happen? Um, well, Mr. Dave Carson Sr. had mentioned to me that they were thinking about doing it. And then uh, Bill Lee contacted me and said, hey, we want to do this for your dad. And I thought, wow, that's 
really awesome because he loved camp with a passion and he loved being outdoors and he loved the mountains um, more than anything, really, except the ocean, believe it or not. He loved the beach more, but um, he he was alive when he was up there. He um, loved being with all those boys. He loved um, being able to spread God's word and do all the different Bible stories, loved playing the harmonica at night. Um, he was just really alive. And that was, you know, I think out of everything he did from 1931 until he passed, if you asked him, I think he would say my time at Mount Care was probably the most special and precious time to me and something he looked forward to doing every summer and just, you know, loved every single minute of it. And of course, you know, as he got older and he was not doing it anymore, it was really hard for him at first, but, um, you know, he realized that's not what he was supposed to be doing anymore. And God had a different plan for him. So he just, you know, let it go. But his heart was always at Mount Care, always. Oh. Yeah, his sanctuary for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, we're going to ask, I'm, I'm interviewing you, but I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about uh, your parents, Philip and, and Irma, and of course, your, 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 your uncle, Uncle Francis mm-hmm. Ostergaard, incredibly godly man. I, I wish I could interview them. Um, I, I, it's, I think it's fascinating hearing their story and kind of because they were there at the beginning, Philip and Francis were. I mean, uh, Mr. Hampton, the founder named his kids after, you know, your, your dad and your uncle, uh, to my understanding. So, um, an incredible family, the Ostergards. What, what exactly did you, you said your mom left Idaho to marry your dad? Mm-hmm. Did they meet up there or what was kind of their connection? Yeah. Um, way back in the day, um, Mr. Hampton had, I think the first time around um, they met, my dad and mom met was a trip or something, or um, Mr. Hampton had taken a position there um, as a pastor or something in any ways was at the church my mom attended and they met then. And when they met, my dad had a full head of red curly hair. (laughs) um, No way. (laughs) Yeah. His head was like apparently carrot red and curly and I've seen pictures of it but by the time he was oh oh my 21 22 it was gone and the way you knew him is always the way I knew I never knew him with hair I always knew him bald the way he was but um the next time they met the first thing out of my mom's mouth was what happened to your hair and my dad's like what you know he was like really taken back that how could you ask such a question you know but um they literally did all their correspondence through mail. Um, never really went on a um, date much. They didn't do the basic, you know, let's date, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Everything was by mail um, because they live, you know, almost 2000 miles apart, but she would come down and I know she came down maybe once or twice and whatnot. And my dad literally proposed through the mail and, sent a ring through the mail, you know, all that. And literally went up a couple days before their um, wedding. Um, They got married on my mom's uh, farm there in Post Falls, Idaho, got married and their honeymoon was the drive back to California. So, you know, very different. We found um, a lot of letters my dad wrote to my mom in our last move and to read over some of his things just 
hysterical because he's not a romantic and he wasn't very good with words when it came to mushy stuff and it just the letters just cracked us up because they were just like oh my goodness dad how could you say something like that to somebody or you know really I mean he just I mean he spoke honestly but he kind of had no filter in some sense so it was pretty funny to read and um you know my mom it was just you know I don't know they they had the best relationship um and you could tell they loved each other immensely um, my dad never, ever left the house without kissing her goodbye, even if he was just walking to his office. Every time he left the house, he would kiss her goodbye. I love that. And I used to mess with him. I'm like, why do you do that? Why do you kiss mom every time you leave? He goes, because I'm not promised the next second. You know, he goes, I might not walk back through that door. And I'm like, oh, okay. But, you know, as a kid, I was like, gross, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but now I get it, why he yeah. did it. And, um, you know, but... uh yeah, my mom literally gave up everything, um, which she was willing to do, came down here, taught at Camino Grove in Arcadia for, oh, 25 years, took early retirement and then started teaching at Rio. So, yeah, so <laughs> well, they were a different couple for sure. Oh, special. Pe- uh, that's a great love story and just incredible. <laughs> I, I love stuff like that. You know, I got I got a, I got news for you, Julene. You know, it's not easy for it's not just your dad. It, it's it's most of the male species that struggles with some of the communication and the mushy stuff. You know, oh, believe me, I'm married to one. So I totally understand. It's funny how I'm like, oh, OK, I get yeah. it now. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it takes it takes some work. Hey, Rome wasn't built in a day and uh, That's right. <laughs> love letters don't always uh, flow. So, oh man, well, tell me, Julene, if you will, about your dad and uh, his brother, Francis. Uh, were, were they the like original members of Care Youth League? Take me back to the beginning, uh, to your knowledge of how everything started, how they met Mr. Hampton and all that. Okay, um, it was 1931. Um, and my dad and some of his friends, um, decided they wanted to check out what Mr. Hampton had to offer. My uncle wanted nothing to do with it. He (laughs) wanted absolutely nothing. I don't want to do that. You know, you know, I leave me out of it, whatever. So my dad and his friends went, they loved it. Um, and basically once my dad went, he never left. Um, and they decided, well, Fran needs to go because it's too much fun and he needs to be there. And so they went and said, hey, you need to come. He's like, no way. And they're like, well, you're coming. And they literally tied Fran up, put him in a wheelbarrow and took him. (laughs) And needless to say, once he got there, he never left. So, but he was very against the whole thing in the beginning. He wanted no part of it. Didn't interest him at all. But once he got there, he never left. So it was 1931 and and Mr. Orc Hampton Sr., Mm -hmm just came up with the idea, I'm going to have a youth sports organization, a youth sports team, and just kind of reached out to various kids. I mean, I think it was, um, I think he actually had, he was like a Cub Scout leader, maybe. It's kind of how it started um, through Cub Scouts. And then soon after that, it, um, he started branching out to my understanding of doing the sports. They had a, a Bible band, Mm-hmm. and whatnot and they did stuff in like Sierra Madre and obviously East Pasadena they would start doing like um camps or something they would go to San Dimas Canyon or something the beginning is very um 
I don't know. Uh, Not really structured, just kind of. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there was never, I was never really sat down and this, 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 this. Yeah. I just know my dad was the first member. Um, it was 1931. It started, you know, kind of that way. And then it just kind of evolved. And they, you know, he figured, Mr. Hamden figured the best way to get through to boys was through sports and stuff. So yeah. that's kind of how it started. And I believe it started with baseball first, obviously, because the other wasn't as popular, but, um, that's hmm. kind of how it started. And it started there in East Pasadena somewhere. Cause my dad <clears throat> and uncle lived in East Pasadena, um, not too far from Chapman woods. Um, they were super poor, but the rich kids lives, you know, usually the rich kids live North of the tracks, but in this case, the rich kids live South of the tracks. My my dad and uncle were North of the tracks, but, um, that's kind of how they got involved in the very beginning. So, um, and obviously both became very instrumental in everything. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the individual who would become the head pastor of care youth League <laughs> had to be taken yeah. down there in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> yeah. Tied up, tied up, tied, tied up. Yeah. Tied up. I, I, I knew again, your dad and Francis Ostergaard is as very old men. I can only, I don't know why I picture them, him tying <laughs> brother right now is just really yeah. funny no it's it's pretty funny if you think about it but of course you know I always saw a different side of the two of them than yeah. everybody else did because you know um when Fran was at our house and whatnot when they were together they were definitely brothers they would argue they would bicker and um you know just have that brother rapport which most people didn't see because they I don't yeah. know that they ever bickered or argued in front of people when they were at care but when they were at the house sometimes they would go at it like they were you know <laughs> 15 and 17 again or something you know it was, it's kind of funny because I would see a much more personal side because he was my uncle and whatnot but um yeah they were pretty funny together they were your dad was much louder than Francis right oh yes um <laughs> Fran was very quiet very reserved what a lot of people don't know is he had um, a stuttering problem as a child growing up mm. and um even into adulthood he hated speaking he hated being in front of people he didn't want to talk he um was very quiet or yeah you're right my dad was very very loud and boisterous and you know when he was on a mission to do something there was no stopping him and yeah they were very different in that aspect very different unbelievable that they yeah. were, you know go from that to, to where they were uh, yeah. towards the end of their life. And again, being, the, you know, not liking being in front of people and it becomes the head pastor and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I love the brotherly connection too. Cause yeah, we didn't see that side of things. Yeah. But to know that bond is, is there is pretty cool. So um, they grew up through curiously. There was never a thought to leave now. So 30, how old were they in 1931? Um, Dad was 11 and Fran was 13. Fran was the oldest and then my dad was second oldest. So they were okay. two years apart. So when World War II came around, mm -hmm. was, were, were they, were they, I forget this, forgive me, but was, was one or both of them drafted in the military? Yes. Yes. They both were. Um, my dad at the time was in actual seminary school. And um, when the draft came around, he, um, technically didn't have to go serve because he was in seminary school. And apparently when you were in seminary school or in a certain part of uh, college during that time in a specific field, um, you did not have to serve. And in fact, the army told him, cause he was 
They were both drafted by the army because if you waited, um, you would be drafted by the army. If you went and enlisted, then you could choose your branch. Um, otherwise you drafted in the army and most likely, you know, you were gonna go somewhere not pleasant. But um, my dad, when he got the call in 19, he was drafted, he wasn't drafted until 1944 because he was at the end of um, the draft notices because of him being in school. He was drafted by the army and he said, I'm gonna go. And he got there and they told him, no, you don't have to go. You're in seminary school. We went, he goes, no. He goes, it is my duty and responsibility as an American um, to heed the call of America. And I need to go do this. I need to serve just like every other boy. Mm. And um, he did. And he was an army corpsman. Um, was on a hospital ship, one of those big white hospital ships with the big red bullseye on the side, you know, the big, yeah. you know, like, hey, here we are. <laughs> um, and my understanding was hospital ships did not carry um, artillery of any sort. They had no guns on board. Um, but my dad went and served in the European theater and would cross back and forth the Atlantic Ocean with uh, wounded soldiers and German prisoners. Wow. And um, one of the stories that he would tell was because my dad was the biggest guy on the ship, they gave him a baseball bat to guard a bunch of German prisoners and said, there you go, keep them in chow. <laughs> and my dad's like, what? So yeah, so he literally guarded some German prisoners on this ship crossing the Atlantic with a baseball bat. And, um, you know, he didn't talk much about the war, um, few stories here and there, um, but was very proud that he served and was actually, he'll, he would say that it was one of the best times of his life is wow. when he was in the army and whatnot. So, um, you know, he wanted to put himself in a situation just like everybody else he wanted to, um, he, his goal was to hopefully somewhere along the line, he would be an encouragement to some other guy um, mm -hmm. to possibly share his experience with Christ. Um, so he um, loved every minute of it, which I thought was crazy. I'm like, how could you love being drafted? How could you love being in war? How could you love seeing the aftermath and whatnot? But he said it was the best time of his life being out on the ocean which a lot of people don't know his favorite thing to do was to be on a boat on a body of water, which most people don't know. Um, he was at peace when he was on a boat. Um, he loved being out on the ocean, on the water or a lake. Um, and if he could, um, I think if you were to rewind time, if he never had found care voice Christian league, I think he probably would have had a house by the ocean or a house by the lake because he loved a body of water he you know that was his thing so even oh. though he was white as a ghost and <laughs> burn like anything but he loved that so yeah wow so. And, and what do you know about um maybe again stories weren't shared or whatever what about francis ostegard and, and his time was he in a similar situation yeah fran was also drafted he was drafted by the army as well um dad was uh 24 1944 and Fran would have been 26. Um, Fran was drafted and went up to Washington State where he worked as a, uh, I don't know, like clerk, I guess. Mm -hmm. And while he was there, he um, actually rewrote some manual and ended up winning some prestigious um, 
award from the army for rewriting this manual. And I can't even tell you right now what manual it was, but <laughs> that's how he served. So he did, um, I can't remember how long he served. I think he was out before my dad was. My dad didn't get out to the very end of December of 45. So my dad was in like a year and a half. Um, not sure about, I don't know when he got out actually, but right about the same time. So um, yeah, so did they he, both did their duty. Oh, God bless them both uh, for, for so many things. But uh, yeah, in particular, that, that was a crazy time. The greatest generation indeed. Did either of them talk to you briefly or share their, um, their memories of when Pearl Harbor happened? Because I was in high school when 9-11 hit and that was a right. thing, I'll, you know, so vivid, but I've never really had a chance to talk to people who were you know, back, back at that time, uh, what that day was like for them, you know, December 7, 1941, and they would have been, you know, whatever, 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there, right before they went off. Did they, did they ever talk about that day? Um, the only thing that my dad would ever talk about and my mom as well was that it was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. They were in ch- church when it happened. And so they didn't hear about it till after, cause obviously news traveled much slower then. Yeah. Um, so it was later on in the day and, um, it's funny because my mom was with her aunt and uncle. They were, you know, Sundays they would go family or whatever. And, um, my mom clearly remembers her aunt saying, um, this means, uh, my, she had a son and I can't, oh, my mind's gone blank on what his name was. She's all, I'm afraid that means so-and-so he's not going to come back from this. And she was right. He didn't, but, um, Mm. you know, it was a shock devastation, but yet I think at the same time, not a total surprise because of just the time, but, um, yeah, it was, um, devastating obviously because people knew their lives were going to drastically change and, you know, whatnot. My mom had numerous friends that signed up immediately for the Navy and, uh, were gone, um, you know, within a matter of weeks after, but, um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's not something, like I said, that my dad talked a whole lot about. My mom would talk more about it because obviously she was a woman, but my dad, you know, like I said, would tell certain stories, talk about certain things and then, um, just kind of let it go. But, um, and he yeah, never told me why, but I'm assuming, you know, he saw stuff that was just really hard. Cause I know my mom, dear friend was the same way. He got back and literally said, I'm going to talk about this once and I'm never going to talk about it again. Yeah. So, you know, oh. that's kind of the way it was, but. Well, a crazy time and a big part of our history and, you know, to all the World War II vets, uh, it's, yep. it's, it's really incredible uh, that, that time frame, And it's, it's so interesting that Curie League started and then that happened. And then so many other things uh, after yeah. that. So, so your dad, your uncle, they come back and life goes on. Um, I only ask all those things because your dad was such a big storyteller. He'd take a, a, a chapter in the Bible and make it into this theatrical presentation and visual <laughs> aids and everything. So yeah, I totally understand not talking about some of the experiences. Uh, so they're back from uh, World War II. They are, their life is given to Care Youth League. I mm-hmm. mean, um, it was, I won't say all they ever knew, but it was, it was, what they were most passionate about. Did, did both men just know 
because at that time, I don't know, there wasn't money in it and this and that, or as a career, it was just God's calling. So for each of them, it's truly powerful for me to look back and be like, these guys didn't know exactly what they were giving of themselves for, but they knew they wanted to. So did they kind of express that to you over the years? Um, my dad kind of, you know, he just knew that's where God wanted him to be because he was so important to him that he would be able to tell the story of Christ and what Christ can do for you and the story of the Bible and, and whatnot. And that was so important to him to reach as many boys as possible and his passion and his love. The sports were great and all that, but his passion was, I need to get God's word out to many boys as possible because, you know, um, that's just what he lived for and whatnot. And, um, he, you know, literally gave up everything to do it. And he was happy to do it because, you know, he knew that's exactly what God wanted him doing. So, and kind of with Fran, the same thing, it was just, um, really important for him to be doing what he could to help boys and, you know, mold them into men and whatnot. So it was just something they were both very, very passionate about and couldn't imagine doing anything else. Did they ever talk specifically about or Campton senior, what he was like, uh, what, you know, he was their leader, right? And most mm-hmm. of us never got to meet or Campton senior, the founder of Cure Youth League. Uh, but it was kind of them, the Ostergaard brothers who, you know, carried the torch really. Did they ever specifically talk about what Mr. Hampton was like? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, my dad um, had a little bit different relationship with him than my uncle. Okay. Um, my dad was given the task of everything that they needed uh, physically when it came to buildings and whatnot and building was that burden was put on my dad. Um, It was my dad's responsibility to figure out how you're going to earn the money to build this, how you're going to get that, how you're going to get this, you know, and there were times where my dad thought uh, this is never going to happen. There's no way this is going to work out. Um, But um, my dad's aspect of uh, dealing, I guess, with Mr. Hampton was, you know, he was, he got to do the really, really hard stuff <laughs> and had the burden of trying to figure out how to put everything together and get everything they needed. Um, you know, especially once they were given the land there at 5150 Farna, um, you know, it was his responsibility to get the fields and the first building built and, figure out how you're going to get the materials for it and the money for it and this and that. It was also his responsibility to figure out how we have to pay um, the monthly fee, uh, you know, the land and whatnot. So, you know, he had a very large burden um, and uh, one he took very seriously and put a lot of time and energy into it. Even growing up, I can remember, you know, almost religiously in a sense he would be in his office at home between the hours of two and four um and you'd walk if you were up in the middle of the night you would see his light on and I would ask him I'm like dad what are you doing up every single night um he's all 
I'm in my office praying, trying to figure out how I'm going to get this done so we can get whatever we need donated or where am I going to get this? Because it's a time where I go and I just literally pray. And he did that for as long as I can remember every single night because the burden was so heavy, but yet it was a burden he was willing and wanted to carry. But um, his relationship was like, I don't get a little bit, maybe like oil and water. Um, they didn't always see eye to eye on things, but um, you know, he did what he needed to do and whatnot. So it was very interesting, I have to say, um, you know, coming in as a kid. And of course, you know, that was years and years later when everything started, but I could, you could always see the burden and the whatnot on him, but he wouldn't yeah. have traded it for anything. Well, I, I just, I go down to care Rio. I see these, you know, the, or Mount care, even see your dad's name on the lodge. I see Francis Ostegard, you know, at the new Irwindale facility with a field mm -hmm. named after him and the scoreboards. And then of course, Hampton hall down at Rio. I mean, there's a story behind all these names. So it's, it's interesting to hear kind of the background and the development of how it all came about. Yeah. Uh, so that's always fun, but let's talk about you, Julene. You came around uh, eventually uh, there in, uh, I don't know, I won't say the year, but uh, you came around. Okay. Born I came around in 1969. 69, almost got to the seventies. Uh, so you came around and for lack of a better term, born into Carrie Youth League. Uh, it was in your backyard, right? Or uh, Yeah. Um, not when I was born. Okay. Um, no, we lived on Mayflower okay. in Arcadia. Um, we didn't move to the Rockfield house until I was four in 1973. And I believe three or four months later, the Johnsons joined us next door on Rockfield. Um, so from the time I was four until I got married, I lived there at the house on Rockfield with Karen Rio right behind me. You know, you know what's funny is, is, is explaining... Care, explaining all this to uh outsiders i don't know a better term and, yeah you know or i'll bring referees down there or whatever we go to and i'm like yeah so this is the campus and then all these houses surrounding it <laughs> it's basically faculty or members or different yeah. connections and it's like it's its own little neighborhood yeah and i i thought one day i was like how did how did this happen where it became like a monopoly on all the houses. How did everybody know nope, this is going to be a care house? That's a care house. That's, you know, and <laughs> I don't know how it all came about. Um, well, I think it was all a little fluky. Um, like with my dad in the Rockfield house, my mom loved our house on Mayflower. That was her dream house when she saw it several years prior, came home, told my dad, I want that house. And my dad literally worked it out and bought that house for her. Um, and the funny thing about the Rockfield house, because it was a newer um, build, um, it had only built, been built a couple years prior to us moving in. Um, my dad literally came home one day and said, all right, Irma, I bought a new house and we're moving. And my mom was like, what? Um, <laughs> she's like, I don't want to move. He goes, well, we're moving. I bought this house right next to the club, as my dad called it. And... Um, so they moved. Um, and like I said, a couple months later, the Johnsons joined us next door. So we were on Rockfield, but the rest of the crew was up on Milo Ann. Um, so that's kind of how it came about um, on the Rockfield part of it. But I think it was mainly because 
when my dad no longer had to drive, he could walk, he could be there at any moment. And Mr. Hampton really wanted him to be closer than what he was. So that's kind of how that happened. So um, I was kind of bummed moving because I'm like, really dad, of all the houses you had to buy the house without the pool because the house with the pool was next door. And then when I found out that Johnson's were moving into the house with the pool, I was really bitter as a four-year-old because I'm like, I wanted the pool, but um, it was fine because we used the pool like it was our own. But um, yeah, that's kind of how that all came about. And then um, obviously when um, people got married in the beginning, they just bought very close to care. Mm -hmm. And I think when a house opened up, it was kind of like, okay, this house is, you know, available. <laughs> who wants to move? Who wants to move in? Because I know the Wickstroms, the Carsons, and the Lees were all on Milo Ann. But the Lees came a couple years after because they um, they got married after. But the Wickstroms and the Carsons were on that street. Then you had the Dowds and the... Um, Johnson's over on Lind, which wasn't too far away. And then everybody just kind of made their way a little bit closer, I guess. <laughs> so that's kind of how that all came about. So we had the Rockfield crew and the Milo Man crew. And um, that's kind of. Yeah. You save on a com on commuting, you know, no, no, oh, yeah. uh, no costs for cars or any of that stuff. I yeah. mean, people, I always tease my classmates, you know, when, uh, you know, Devin Drain, Alicia Lammers. <laughs> Uh, who else? Uh, yeah. to think. Some of the foreign exchange students, you know, when they'd be late to something, I'd be like, oh, what do you, what do you hit traffic? Uh, you know, that, yeah. that long walk down to, to campus. Uh, but any, when I'm commuting from, you know, Glendora and all that, yeah. uh, <laughs> really funny stuff. It was so, a blessing and a curse because I think, um, you know, when you live that close, you don't, your time management is really bad because <laughs> you think, oh, I don't have to be there till eight o'clock. Okay. I can roll out of bed at seven fifteen and make it and realize, no, I can't. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I hated living that close though. I never liked living that close. I okay. always uh, so so what so let's get into that. So why was that? Is just you never felt like you could get away, no escape? Yeah. I always felt like somebody was watching. Um, <laughs> especially when I got into high school. You know, I you know, in high school I was living next door to my basketball and volleyball coach, and it was like, okay. And then at the time, um, on the other side, um, the house was uh being rented out by a bunch of Arch LA girls. So it was like, I can never get away. And, um, you know, it was just like, of course, you know, I was a rebel in high school. So I didn't want people to know when I was coming or going or who was hanging out. Sometimes I just always felt like eyes were watching. I hated it. Um, the only thing I did like about it is it was my, the house was a hangout. So all my friends were always there, which was great. And that's one reason why my dad ended up building this big house is because he wanted all our friends to come over and hang out. But when the Carsons moved to Gavina, my world came to an end because my best friend was leaving and she was moving so far away, going all the way out to Gavina. Um, we started scheming to figure out a way, we need to buy a house right next to the Carsons so I can be next to her. Cause I couldn't imagine Christina moving Christina. so far away. Gavina, <laughs> <laughs> it's so far away. But um, my dad didn't go for it. I thought I almost had him, but no, he wasn't willing to move. And I was like, oh, but it was just an excuse for Christina always to spend the night, certain nights a week during school and whatnot. And oh. I was at her house every Friday night because we both coached at Wingate. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't like it at all living where I did when I got older. Um, 
when I was little, it was fine. But when I got older, hated it, hated every moment of living that close. I get it. I get it. I hear you. (laughs) Um, I I do want to know about high school. Let me ask you first about as a kid playing sports, because uh, how do I say this delicately? Um, Let's see here. Okay. okay, I'm just going to say it. Uh, You know, girls in sports, it's not as popular of a thing as guys in sports. There's plenty of great athletes uh, girls who like play, but I know there's also in the girls program, there's also other things you guys do to kind of attract those who aren't into sports. So yeah. where did you fall as a kid? Did you love playing sports or were, were you, did you like the crafts and all that other stuff they do? I don't even know what they do. So tell, talk to me about that. I was definitely 100% sports. Um, my dad raised me more like a boy than a girl. Um, <laughs> in the sense of, you know, he taught me at a very young age how to do things that most dads wouldn't do with their daughters, you know, how to build things and help with things. I was always the one helping with the projects at home. It was me, not my mom. Um, but sports, 100% hated dance, hated tilting, hated cheerleading. I'm like, why are we doing this stupid stuff? Let's get out. Let's practice, practice, practice. You know, I, I hated that part of it. And, um, that was not my cup of tea at all. Um, I wanted to play, you know, sports. I wanted to be out there on the field. I want to be there on the court. Um, you know, that was my passion. I was very competitive, probably too competitive for my own good when I was younger. Um, you know, and when we lost, it was not pretty. Um, very upset. It was like, don't talk to me. I just lost my game, you know, and my mom would get like, what's your problem? I'm like, I lost. I don't want to talk to you right now. <laughs> go in my room or whatever. So and I even carry that on through high school. It's like, if I lost, it's like, just don't even talk to me right now. Um, yeah. I need time to, you know, deescalate and figure out where we went wrong. Who were your coaches uh, in Cary Youth League when you, you know, you were a kid before <gasps> high school and all that? Oh man. I don't know if I can really remember, which is really, really bad, <laughs> but um, I had, Cause I was on Indian um, and oh man, I can't. Well, you saw all these people every day. So I'm sure it all blends yeah, together. You know what? Like... I'm so bad. I can't remember. <laughs> I really can't remember until I got into junior high. And when I was in junior high, I had, um, because back then junior high curiously went through eighth grade. And so um, you did both. You played school team sports and you did care. And so when I got older, like seventh, Seventh grade, I um, had um, seventh, no, seventh grade, I can't even, oh my goodness, eighth grade, I'll go to eighth grade, I can remember eighth grade, I had um, the coaches at that time were Christy Horton, Janet Martin, um, Pam Martin, Mm -hmm. Um, who else was there, someone else, there was another one, I can't remember, Um, but kind of had them, and then which was great and a lot of fun because, you know, they were really good. Um, so those are the ones I really remember. There are a couple others that are no longer, and um, I don't even know. It's all good. I I know. Know. I'm I so bad. It's been too long. It's horrible. And it was a long horrible. time ago. No worries. Um, so, yeah, so high school rolls around, and who uh, you talked about Christina who were some of the people, let's see, 1988, so, you know, the mid to late 80s there, who was, who were some of the people in your class, classmates, uh, or people just above you, just below you, some names that we would recognize? Okay, 
in my class that um, was uh, Dave Carson, Randy Johnston, Rick Lane, um, Rod Heaton, Corrine Heaton, um, Jenna uh, Wharton Mann, Wendy Dowd. Um, those were just some of the people in my class. And then above us was the class of all girls, which were Christina Horton, Diana Bollinger, and Dina Loomis. And they had one other girl in their class named Gia. So when they graduated, they graduated with a class of four. And that we is, had- That is unbelievable that, it, that yeah. it's that, that small and that it was all girls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was pretty crazy. And then the class below me was uh, my husband, Cole, uh, my sister, Joella, and then Karen Miyaki, um, and then Harry Joe. Okay. Crystal Hampton were some of the class below. So, so, so were the guys, uh, you know, you know, Dave Carson, well, Dave and Randy uh, Johnson and uh, uh, Rod Heaton, were these, were these guys kind of the, the jokesters and uh, pranksters that I, that I've heard rumors about in high school? Were they never serious one minute or was that just on a football field? Maybe. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, they could have a good time when they got together and they could be, um, Randy, especially Randy was, <laughs> Randy knew what to say to get to you and, and, uh, you know, push your buttons he, a lot like his dad. Um, he, uh, you know, make little underhanded comments and you were like, okay, was that supposed to be an insult or what, you know, but they had a lot of good they had a lot of fun together. They were um, a lot of fun to be around with. Yes, they were always off doing something crazy or whatever, but um, great group of guys. These things were really different back in high school when yeah. we were there versus now. So it was kind of, you know, boys, girls, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, yeah. they mingled with each other and we mingled with each other unless we were being really rebellious and, you know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> you know, they live for their sp- they live for their sports and they live for hanging out together and doing their thing. And just as we girls, you know, did our thing, but um, yeah, they were, they were fun to be in high school with, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and, you know, they had the rough patch of playing, but um, senior, they're not bad. Yeah. So, you know, well, we all know what it's like to, to, to be teenagers and uh, you know, we're all learning about ourselves and all that stuff at yep. that time. What, what, uh, there's nothing quite like the experience of going to real Hondo prep, you know, the years change, but a lot of the things stay the same. There's some, okay. some changes as well, but if you could kind of sum up, what is your, your memories from high school? What are some of the biggest lessons I guess that you took from graduating, you know, going through real Hondo prep? I mean, cause it, it's not something everyone could do. It's a very yeah. unique school. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and there were a couple times through high school, I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'll go to Arcadia High School. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, there's sometimes I wish I could go back and fix some of the mistakes I made, but um, I learned from those mistakes. And obviously that's why they occurred. But um, I think some of the biggest things I took away from being at Rio was, you know, um, life isn't just about you. Mm -hmm. It's about other people. It's about, um, you know, 
caring and worrying about others, um, that you are part of a team and there's, you know, the thing, there's no I in team and, um, you know, you shouldn't live and do things for the glory of yourself. You know, you want to, um, be a light to other people, I think is kind of one of the biggest things that I've taken away that, um, you know, true friends are very important and whatnot. And, you know, responsibility, I think is a really big thing that you learn at Rio, um, how to re become responsible, even when you don't want to be, um, because of some of the things you're asked to do and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think when you graduate from Rio, for the most part, you know how to take responsibility. You know how to um, lead a group of people because you, you know, had to do it in high school. Whether it was as a team captain or coaching a group of boys or girls and whatnot, I think played a big role in my life because little did I know that you know being team captain, you know, in high school and then coaching girls and that I go on to get married and have five children and my job would be raising children because being a stay-at-home mom, you know, never in a million years did I, you know, I look back on it now because I'm thinking I, you know, had you told me I had five kids, I'd be like, no, no, I'll have a couple, but not five, yeah. you know? So I think everybody takes away something different, but I think everybody can say when they leave Rio, they, um, if they needed to, they could go out and lead a group of people in some way or form, whether that be in the office or, you know, whatever. So I don't know. I loved, I loved being in high school and playing, um, you know, playing was my world, my life. I could not imagine a pandemic happening like it is now when I was a junior and senior I would have literally died oh yeah um uh, my heart breaks for these kids um I can't even imagine my world would have come to an end I would have just said screw it and I'm done with life you know I just yeah. because it was my world it was everything I mean I went to school to get grades so I could play that, that's that's <laughs> <laughs> We're the same. We are the same. It's like, I don't have time for these, uh, these math problems. I'm going to do what I got to do. I need to eligible. I got practice. To, I don't practice exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so funny. I, I think because our, our, our sports playing lifespan is so short and yeah. we go out into the world after all that, and we have to carry ourselves accordingly. And hopefully we are more prepared uh, for, for life's experiences because of real hondo prep and the mm -hmm. training and the teachings yeah. and, you know, at times doing things you don't want to do. You're a mom. Now you, you've, I mean, you've raised five kids, you know, a lot yeah. of things are telling them things they don't want. Yeah. Okay. So after high school, Julene, what, uh, what happened? Did you stick around for a little while coaching? Did you go to college? What, what was kind of life after I, high school for yeah, you? Yeah. Um, I stayed around, for a couple years, um, I went to Citrus trying to get some of those GEs done. And then um, in 1990, into 1990, um, you know, I just decided, um, you know, this isn't for me anymore. Um, it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, within about two years of leaving, I was married, living <laughs> a completely different life than I ever thought. But um, you know, wouldn't have changed it for anything. Isn't um, it, isn't it funny how, how often you hear that from somebody and yourself say it, that it's not something you would have ever expected 
or thought about doing, you know, and then here it is. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, I always thought, you know, cause it was always, you know, you graduate high school, you go to college, you graduate college, then you get married, then you have kids. It was kind of always the mantra I was taught my whole life between school and my parents. And that's just the way life was. Um, my life in college took a, a little bit of a turn. Um, I was all set to go to the University of Laverne, um, was literally gonna go tour it and set everything up. And my dad the night before said, I'm not gonna pay for you to go there. You're gonna have to go to Citrus for two years. And then we'll talk about going there. <gasps> my world was just crushed. I'm like, how could you do this to me? You know, What are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not gonna pay for you to go there. Cause I think it's a waste of money. I think your G's done and then transfer. And I was very upset. And, um, you know, I think that kind of put a bitter uh, taste in my mouth about college because that's not what I wanted. I wanted to go to college for four years, possibly be a walk-on to play volleyball and just be on with life. But um, my dad had other plans um, and I went to Citrus, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. So I'm like, this is stupid. Um, I'm gonna stop wasting money, dad. I'm not gonna go to school anymore. And he's like, fine, you don't want to go to school no more. You need to go find a full-time job. So I did. Um, I started working two different jobs, you know, had to start paying my own bills. The only thing he didn't make me pay for was rent and food. But, you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, we'll pay your car insurance, pay for anything you want to do. You yeah. need to take care of it. You can still live here, but you, there's certain things you can have to do around the house to help your mom. I'm like, okay. And um, soon after that, I was engaged to Cole. And a year after we got engaged, we got married. And two years, not quite before our two-year anniversary, had our first little girl. And every two years after that, like clockwork, thousand. <laughs> and then in 2007, we got our sweet little surprise, little P. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I always knew I wanted to get married and have be a mom, um, but um, I never knew to what extent until it happened. So, but. Well, well, like you said, you said you knew Cole, your husband, yeah. uh, you know, he was a class below you or whatever. Right. And you got, when you guys are dating, uh, you know, did, did it ever come up that he was going to be, uh, a, you know, a long haul truck driver and that he'd be gone for months at a time? Uh, was, did that ever come up or was that something that came up later in life? No, it's not anything that ever crossed my mind. Cause it's funny. Cause in high school, we hated each other. Oh, good night. Oh, I Stand each other. Oh, I got I, I didn't know this. I got to hear this part. Yeah. Um, no, I thought he was so stupid and so immature and just, oh, I could not stand him. And he <laughs> felt the same way about me. He thought I was stuck up. He thought I was, you know, I thought, you know, I'm awesome um, in sports and blah, blah, blah. He, I mean, we just hated each other. And, um, I can remember graduating and we were first in Arch Lay together. I was like, oh, this guy drives me nuts. But um, we started working together at the tree lot because I injured my foot. So I couldn't do the wrapping paper booth at the mall. So all I could do was sit and take money. So we started working at the tree lot. And it's funny because when people say never say never, it's true because oh. <laughs> I never in a million years, I had my eyes on somebody else. And it was kind of like, you know, you start to talk to somebody and you spend some time with them and you start to get to know them and you realize, oh, he's not as much of a dork as I thought he was, or he's not 
the way you think. And, and so we just started spending some time together and it was like, oh, okay, this guy's not that bad, I guess. And <laughs> we just kind of, you know, just kind of snowballed from there and, you know, found out, you know, oh, he really is a nice guy. He really does, you know, this, he just puts, you kind of put, I think with a lot of guys, they project this persona because they don't want people to realize, you know, they really are caring. They really are nice. They really are thoughtful. Um, especially back then, you know, cause you were, you know, all guys wanted to be kind of macho or whatever, but, um, you know, and it's funny cause when we were dating and everything, you know, he always said, well, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have any kids. And I said, well, if you're going to continue dating me, we're going to get married. Otherwise we just need to end it now and go on our way and we're having children. Okay. Well, if we have kids, we're only going to have one. I said, no, look <laughs> at you. You're a child of one. No, not happening. I go, and we're not having two. Cause I hated having just a sister. Um, cause all my friends had, there was more, they had, there was three and four and five of them. Um, I'm like, we're having at least three. Um, and we had five. So <laughs> never say never. I guess. <laughs> no, never, never indeed. So and that is so funny. I didn't know you guys didn't like each other oh, yeah. and all of a sudden. So you're chatting and then one of you is just like, Hey, let's go out sometime. I mean, he, he after actually, being enemies. Um, yeah, it was funny. The first time we ever went out, we were done working at the tree lot and he's like, Hey, you want to go get some dessert or something? Cause there was <laughs> what was it Coco's or Baker square down the street or whatever. I'm like, okay, sure. So we went and I'm sitting there thinking, I think this may be a date. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, a little awkward and whatnot. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, uh, okay. Um, you know, got home and thought, okay, that wasn't too bad. I might be able to do this again. Cause he's like, do you think we could do it again sometime? I'm like, sure why not um you know and it just kind of went from there it went from a piece of pie so that is magic oh man you you talk about your parents love story then you got this i mean you got you got (laughs) you got some bestsellers that you could write up here oh that is so funny so cole uh after getting married and everything cole is then a uh or i don't know what the time frame was but he's a truck driver and he, he hauls freight and i'm sure for a while it was okay cool he's gone for a few days then that over time turns into weeks and now you told me even even months i mean how did all that come about Were yeah you- well when we first got married he was working at in and out he was actually working at the stand and that's what his job was he was clean up so he'd go to work like at four o'clock in the morning and get everything ready for the day and so he was doing that and then um we got married and soon after we got married he got a job at the warehouse there in Baldwin Park and was, you know, driving forklifts and whatnot. And then he started to see that, you know, if I'm going to stay with this company, the money's in the driving. And so he decided, he literally came home, said, all right, I'm going to get my class A license and I'm going to go drive for in and out. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I'm going to go get my, um, uh, okay, whatever. Um, and at the time the hours were great because you worked like three days on four days off, work four days, work three days off in, you know, so it was a great schedule and we didn't have kids yet. And I'm like, okay, cool. So, um, he did that, got his license, um, started driving for them, drove for them right until right before I had Jensen, um, they switched their hours. They made their drivers come in at midnight. So instead of working during the day, all their drivers had to come in at midnight and work midnight to like 10, 30, 11. 
And at first it was like, okay, um, not too bad or whatever. Um, Cause I would just wait to go to bed once he left for work. And, you know, I was home every night to deal with the baby, which was fine. I didn't mind that at all. But I guess when Jensen was probably about mm, three, four months, he's like this, I'm missing out because he would literally, you know, I go to work, drop Jensen off at my mom's. He would get off work, go pick Jensen up, go home. I'd get off work, take Jensen. He would eat and go to bed. So we had like no time together and he felt like I'm missing out and I don't want to do this. I don't want to miss out on my kids' lives, whatever. So he ended up taking a job um, with a friend um, and was doing dispatch for a while and then decided, literally came home and said, I'm buying a truck. I'm going to become an owner operator. And I'm like, this is insane. I was totally, (laughs) totally against it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Where are we going to get the money? You know? And of course he talked to my dad because my dad was the wisest man on the planet. And they decided that, you know, it might be something good to do. So when he started doing it, he was just gone basically during the day and he was home at night, which was fine. And then before we knew it, he was working more and more, gone a lot more. Um, Kids didn't like it. When he started his own company, I guess you'd say, Cooper was just a few months old. So like 2000, 2000, I think December of 2000 is when he bought his first truck and our world changed forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He, um, yeah, it just snowballed in something where he was gone more and more then left the one company to take another job to drive a tanker. And the nice thing about that job is he could set his own hours for the most part. So he did that for quite some time. And of course, you know, it was really hard on the kids. So we just came up with a plan because I thought, you know, someone's going to end up dead here, either me or one of the kids, because, you know, I'm home all the time with them. He's never here. This is not what I signed up for to be a single parent. Um, We just decided, me and the kids decided if daddy's home, great. If he's not, okay. Um, We knew that the kids knew when they went to bed Sunday night, daddy probably wouldn't be home till Friday night, Saturday morning. So that's what we just put into play and life became a lot simpler. And then when he started doing this tanker stuff, when the kids got into high school, he literally would work, 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 stop at the house in between, catch the kids games, get back in the truck and go. Oh man. And we lived like that for years. Um, He'd stop long enough to catch a boys baseball game or Jensen softball game or whatever. And he did that all the way through till um, Cooper no, Cooper was still in high school. So was Hudson because when his, uh, truck, he was in a bad accident. Well, we lost everything in 2014 in a really bad accident out in the desert and, um, put us out of business, which was okay for me because trucking in California is just too hard to be in and just too expensive. And it's a joke. So then that's when he went to work for another company, but, um, and was home a lot more, which was a huge adjustment from going from never being home to being home every night was really hard to adjust to. It took me about two and a half years to get adjusted to him being back home. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, you know, you think about people being away from, you know, military, uh, law enforcement has some graveyard shifts, uh, uh, medical personnel. 
you, th you, you think of those jobs when you think of being away from people. But like, I think some of the forgotten workers out there are those that transport all the things that, that come to us, you know, uh, all the things, all the, the food items or, or whatever yeah. people transport. The truckers, we get mad at them on the road. I know I do. Uh, but you got to remember that a lot of those people are, are gone for days and weeks and months at a time without seeing their families. They got yeah. wives and kids and everything too. So I saw some of that when I was in professional baseball traveling, like my partners, they have, we'd be gone for months and they have their families back home and it just, yeah. a lot of phone calls, a lot of, oh, uh, so God bless Cole and all the truckers out there and, uh, and not just the truckers, but the truckers families too. It's, <laughs> It takes uh, it takes everybody really. Yeah. Um, there is one thing about the Barrett family that, as soon as I think of the Barrett family, uh, I think of baseball. You guys are a baseball family. I, that's kind of my description of you guys. Uh, <laughs> is that a fair assessment? Um, I would say yes, it is very <laughs> much so. So I gotta yeah. why I know Cole, Cole's a big baseball fan and uh, yeah. You know, he wears that hat with the A on it, which is weird, but um, <laughs> what, what is with baseball? Because baseball is a weird game. You either love it or you hate it. There's not too many in-betweeners. Why, why does everyone love baseball at that house? Well, I think because it was Cole's favorite sport. Um, it's just kind of one of those things where, because it was daddy's favorite sport, it's going to be our favorite sport too. Yeah. Um, I hated softball in high school. I could not stand it. I would just, you know, rather play basketball and volleyball the whole time. But, you know, when you have a team of 12, you kind of have to play. Um, but baseball was his favorite sport from the time he was little. And it was something he felt he could do. Um, so he just kind of passed that passion on to the kids. Um, same with the whole Atlanta Braves thing. So, um, yeah, my my boys love baseball. Jensen and Peyton love softball. Um, and I have to say, they all did very well at it. Peyton, of course, still only being 13 in seventh grade, she's still learning a lot, but she loves softball. She loves catching. Um, but yeah, we are definitely baseball people. So did you come around just because your kids were kind of liking it more and your husband was into it since you weren't really a softball uh, you didn't like that sport that much. So did, did you just kind of naturally become your favorite sport too, or are you kind of somewhere else? Well, I think if you had to say what's your favorite sport, I would have to say volleyball. Okay. Um, I love, love watching college softball. I could mm. watch it all day. Same with college baseball. I'm more the college than pro. I don't care for pro sports at all. Um, I'm not into it. I like college. Um, I watch it because my family watches it, but I definitely enjoy it. And I will sit down and watch a game, um, whatnot. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, definitely love their baseball. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> College baseball is unique. I mean, you can go and get into games for pretty cheap and yeah. uh, sit pretty close and that, you know, the, the kids are just a little older than high school age. So it's yeah. a little easier to relate to. And so that, that is something I think I would encourage, encourage anybody to get out there and watch some college baseball. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of where my boys' passion came from is, you know, they were able to go to those Fullerton baseball games, which, you know, if you're going to go watch a college baseball game, go to Fullerton, man. That, that's just, <laughs> it's, so it's just awesome. There's nothing quite like Fullerton baseball. And um, 
Hudson started doing that. Oh my gosh. When he was probably six or seven, he'd start going Cole and Parker. And I think that's kind of where their love really started to envelop and whatnot. And then of course, then having Todd as a coach, um, whatnot, they just really became both Parker and Hudson's passions. So, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of a combination that they all like it. Dad likes it. So, you know, we're going to make it a family affair and, you know, there's nothing better than sitting down watching a game together or going to a game together. I mean, we're crazy enough that we got in a car one summer and drove 3000 miles to Atlanta and watched six baseball games and drove back home for our family vacation because that's how crazy my family is. Wait, where's the so, crazy part? I'm missing the crazy part of the story. That sounds like a great thing. The drive, I think, was crazy. Okay. Look back on it now thinking, oh, maybe we should have flown. But, you know, <laughs> we're trying to go cheap because when you travel as a family of seven, airline tickets aren't cheap. Oh, throw them in the but, back um, of the big rig. Yeah, you'd be, be fine. So, but yeah. So, you know, it's definitely, yeah. I can't, I, 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 you know, you guys are great people. I just, I, I cannot comprehend or get behind this whole Atlanta Braves thing. I got, I got mad respect for you guys, but what's the story? Todd told me one time about the Cole Barrett transitioning <laughs> to an America, American, uh, Atlanta Braves fan, uh, whatever they're called. Okay. Uh, tell yeah. me the story. Okay. So he was about 11, 10 or 11. He was at a Dodger game. The Dodgers were playing the Braves and I, apparently the Dodgers just really could not do anything that night and they stunk and they lost and it really ticked him off. So he had a Dodger hat on apparently threw the Dodger hat on. And I don't know if they were giving out hats that night to Atlanta or what, but after that Dodger game, he said, I'm not going to be a Dodger fan anymore. I'm now Atlanta Braves fan. And that's literally yeah. how it started. And I'm like, okay. And I never knew he was a Braves fan until we started dating. Well, that was, you that know, should have been I a never deal really, what? That should have been a deal breaker then, right? Well, because for me, it didn't matter because I'm not into pro sports. Okay, okay. My parents, my mom was an avid Dodger fan. Oh my goodness. She, <laughs> she would, man, sometimes <laughs> after games, she's like, I don't know why so-and-so pitched tonight and <laughs> we should have done, you know. It was Wait just, a minute, was, the sweet, the sweet, caring uh, Mrs. Ostergaard <laughs> Oh yeah. You could get really upset sometimes I love and it. just like, I don't understand, but yeah, they would watch baseball games at night at dinner together at the kitchen table. And um, yeah, I, cause to me, it didn't matter because I didn't like pro sports and I wasn't really big on the Dodgers, except when I was younger, of course, you know, Steve Sachs, cause he was really hot and all that. Type <laughs> of stuff. But you know, that's kind of the way I looked at baseball players. Oh, that guy's cute. And you know, yeah. it just wasn't my thing, but um, we started obviously going to all the Dodger Braves games when the Braves were here when we we're dating we go the boys go every year well let me rephrase that the girls do too the boys all the kids go with Cole and if Cole's not here they go to every Braves game they can go to when they're in town um they'll even drive to San Diego well I got one living in San Diego now so they'll go to those games too so um yeah just kind of passed down onto them and that's kind of how it started really and cool yeah they they all despise the dodgers it's a bad word in this house <laughs> you know, they're not spoken of or about and if it is it's not in a very nice way so well i will i will because in honor of that i have to bring up uh, something that i'm sure is a little painful for the barrett family um you know 20 
2020 was a rough year for a lot of people. We had a pandemic, we had uh, unemployment, we had all kinds of things. We also had this very odd NLCS occur yeah. uh, down in uh, down in Arlington, Texas, and uh, you know those Atlanta Braves. They they won the five game series. I got to give them that. They they yeah. won three out of four. I don't know if they're going to hang a banner for it or not, but unfortunately, and I'm not as big of a Dodgers as I used to be there, Jolene, but uh, I still kind of pull for the LA teams. Three in a row. Uh, at what point was Cole pulling out the little hair that he had left? Uh, did he know this isn't good? The Dodgers are going to win three in a row. Is he pessimistic, optimistic? Tell me about blowing a three to one lead, what that was like for the Barrett family. I'm so sorry, by the way. Oh no, it's, it's, it's fine. Cause it, you know, it doesn't really rub me wrong either way, but Cole's on the road. <laughs> so he wasn't here. I don't think, but um, Jensen and Hudson. Oh, it was not pretty. It was <laughs> not pretty. Um, Cole can become a pessimist very early on. As soon as a mistake happens to go, Oh, that cost us a game. We're not going to win, which <laughs> drives Jensen Parker and Jensen. And Hudson crazy. They're like, dad, you're so negative. He goes, he goes, no, watch it'll happen. It'll happen. They're like, just shut up, dad. Don't, you know, if you can't say anything positive, just keep quiet. So they get really upset. But um, yeah, it was not pleasant at all being here. Um, <laughs> Hudson, boy, you would have thought the well, in his eyes, the world was coming to an end. He, they, yeah, it was not pretty at all. Um, but but was everyone feeling was everyone feeling pretty pretty high on themselves when it was a three to one lead? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. But my kids can be very cautious when it comes to certain things. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, just because we're up three one doesn't mean we're gonna win. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think they thought, yeah, we got this, we can do this. But when they lost the next game, they started thinking, oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> this could be bad. And, you know, it went downhill from there. And yeah, it was it was really bad. Um, not something I wanted to hear them talk about because they will dwell on it and for hours and days on end. Yeah. And it's kind of like, guys, there's nothing you can do about it. Let's move on. No, we can't. We have to figure out next year and whatnot. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were really glad Cole wasn't home for this because- oh um, if you've ever watched a game with Cole, with any team he's passionate about, you need to bring earmuffs mm. and you just got to know that the temper will flare and it will not be pretty and it'll be extremely loud <laughs> and embarrassing, especially uh, if you're in public. Uh, you just described me to a T, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've stopped watching games and with other people. I, I have to do it. And, and, and I, I, when I'm by myself, I'm even, I'm even louder, which is funny. So uh, coming from an LA Rams fan, I can completely relate to uh, letdowns and being upset and, and all those things. But uh, <laughs> I was just curious how the Barrett family was doing. I know 2020 has been rough on everyone, but yeah. uh, that, that time there in October or September, whenever it was, I'm sure was very difficult. And, and, um, and you know, one thing, one thing I know about Dodger fans they're they're very humble people they're 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 quiet i'm sure they didn't tease your kids or anything for the past few months uh oh oh maybe oh man maybe i could be wrong <laughs> let's just say some of jensen and hudson's friends not so nice um 
you know, little jabs here and there. And of course, when you talk bad about, you know, their teams to them, they do get very defensive, especially Jensen. Um, so she had actually had to block a couple uh, fellow high school classmates um, <laughs> because it got a little tense, a little, uh. yeah. but um, yeah, uh, it was, yeah, it was rough, but it's over. They're very positive and are excited about this new season. Mm -hmm. um, I know they've gotten, they have a group, great, a really good group of guys this year. So um, I think the Braves could pull it out this year. Yeah. Yeah. There's always next year as the Dodgers used to say uh, in, yeah. in infamously. So no, it's, it's all, it's all in good fun. Of course, yeah. uh, sports kind of gets us to keep our mind, get our mind off of uh, more serious topics and it's exactly. fun to jab, to jab each other and this and that. Yeah. So uh, very, I will say, yeah, you gotta be, I stopped talking a little bit more trash over the years because I hated when it came back to me. Right. <laughs> now I just sit quietly and smile when things are well. And that's enough yes. for me. Cause I know, yeah. I know the suffrage that's going on anyway. <laughs> uh, that's, um, that's how I am. But yeah, Dodger fans can be incredibly annoying. I will say that. Uh, yes. there, there's no doubt about it. Anyway, Julene, uh, anything else you'd like to chat about before we kind of wrap things up? This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Julene, just, Chatting down memory lane, sports, uh, the Ostagard. Uh, I mean, this has been time's flown by, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I don't even. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, if I've answered what the questions you had and, you know, whatnot, I think, you know, not very exciting. I'm pretty uh, mellow and dull now, my <laughs> old age, but, you know, just trying to get through. Oh, but, uh, boy. Yeah, hey. no. That's all we're doing. Each of us are trying to get through in our own way. And uh, this has been a lot of fun uh, chatting with you. And uh, I'm hoping that these conversations, my, my app here tells me some, somebody's listening. So it's nice to, to know people are tuning in and uh, hearing from a wide range of guests. Uh, appreciate you coming on. My best to the Barrett family, to Cole on the road, to the, the Barrett children. I mean, I'm sure you're a mom of five. I'm sure you've been away for an hour and a half now. I'm sure you got to go take care of something right now. Cause well, uh, you know, the only the one I really have to worry about any day nowadays is Peyton. Um, but she's in, she's in class, online class right now. Oh. So, you know, <laughs> I got one in Colorado who's going to be skiing here tomorrow and one getting ready to go to work and the other two, I don't know what they're doing, but are they're they, adults. Are, they're all adults now. How weird is it to have uh, four adult kids? Um, very weird um, <laughs> because when they were younger I thought we're never going to make it you know you get, hit these stages we're never going to get into grade school we're never going to get through junior high yeah oh my goodness I got to get them all through high school we're never going to do that and I'm down to one and uh it has gone by so incredibly fast that it's like very sad but at the same time exciting because I'm looking forward to seeing where they're going to go in the future and what they're going to do. You know, of course, the 2020, all their plans have completely changed. They're all taking new directions and, you know, uh, what they want to do in life. Everybody's changing direction completely, um, which was a little <laughs> bit of a surprise and kind of like, oh, you really want to start over? But okay, you know, um, you got to do what you feel you need to do. And if we can get through this school year with Peyton, chalk one up for mom because we all made it through alive but um yeah i'm just uh i'm very proud of them they're all different um and doing their thing and they're happy healthy and that's about all i can ask for they're good people that's about all i can ask for so I'm very hey, proud of them all 
Amen. Well, they're in great hands. And uh, Julian, you did a great job with them. You and Cole, uh, great, great, again, great family. I uh, look forward to seeing you guys, hopefully at a football game or something, if I can break away from my, my new job. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll cross paths again at some point. For sure. And if not, you know, we can always hang out sometime and go get dinner or something and be good to see you again, for sure. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks so much, Julian. That was fun. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. A big thank you to Julene Barrett for sharing some memories of her father, her uncle, talking about her family and baseball and Rio Hondo prep. Just a lot of great stories. We could have talked even longer. Uh, just a pleasure to chat with. And thank you so much, Julene, for your support of the podcast and uh, just liking and listening and all these different things that you do. I appreciate you taking the time to record with me and always great catching up. Looking forward to seeing you and the Barrett family, hopefully very soon down the road. Well, guys, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast this week, but I'll say it one final time, I promise you. Uh, I recorded last week with uh, Zach Stiver, Chris Calderon, and Javier Rodriguez, their podcast, the Pro and Con podcast. It was released on Thursday. I already listened to the episode. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Those guys are doing a great job. Uh, with with their podcast. I, I like listening and it was an honor to be a guest on their podcast. So if you haven't got enough of me for the week uh, or you want to hear kind of three Real Hondo Prep graduates uh, talk with me and hear their podcast, if you haven't heard it before, by all means, tune in. A great group of guys and uh, they're, they're again, they're doing really great stuff and uh, I'm a little biased. I enjoyed the episode. I really did. I know I kind of chimed in a little here and there with my two cents, but it was fun to be a guest. It's fun to be a guest, to have kind of the, the other side of the microphone, if you will, be on the other end. And uh, again, if you haven't had a chance, give those guys a listen. They got some uh, great guests on who just talk about life, sports, politics, current events, and pop culture. So anyway, I just wanted to make that announcement one final time uh, is in promoting their, their podcast for this week specifically. Okay, guys, on Monday, I will be back to talk about a recap, really, of some of the March Madness action that's gone on. There is a few UFC fights uh, that I wouldn't mind watching if I get a chance to on Saturday, but no promises. It'll be a weekend definitely dedicated to college basketball. And like I said, before you know it, next week or or the week after that even, Major League Baseball will be uh, throwing their first pitch of their official uh, start of their season. So we didn't have any baseball in April last year. So this year will be uh, definitely a treat and a sense of normal, right? We all want that, a sense of normal. Can't wait. Anyway, let's see. Uh, There will be some news on Monday announced um, that I will – well, I'll tease for now. I'll let you guys tune in for that. As you know, Mondays are usually just me. I've had a guest on the the past few Mondays. Uh, But anyway, there is some news I want to announce on Monday uh, that uh, has changed as far as some of the, well, I, well, that's all I'll say. It's not like the podcast is going away or anything, but there is some news that I want to double check my sources, make sure it's okay to announce that I will, uh, I'll bring to you on Monday, as well as a, a, a breakdown of the games from the weekend, Saturday and Sunday specifically, and then looking forward on Monday and Tuesday to the Elite Eight. Great time of year. College basketball is taking us uh, into spring followed up by major league baseball just a a wonderful wonderful time so lots to be thankful for because remember this time last year we were all uh, terrified or some of us anyway and not sure what to expect but after a year of all this i think we're in a much better place 
and I'm looking forward to more and more and more and more of normal. Let's get back to it. Let's get back to uh, 2019. I think that would be a, a great, a great thing. Anyway, uh, Bill Barnes will be back with me on Wednesday for the weekly Wednesday WAN, and I've already recorded an episode with a guest for next Friday. I might bump that to the following Friday, just because again, there's some news that uh, I, I may uh, put together something else. But uh, for now, that's where we're at. I'm still reaching out to guys and trying to put together recordings of more long form interviews like you heard today and uh, every single Friday that we will uh, keep continuing to compile. And to the listeners out there, uh, you know, if you know of anybody, send me an email to suggest somebody. Uh, by all means, I'm willing to talk to to anyone out there and just continue to bring fun conversations on Fridays and just uh, a long, friendly, long form interview uh, to learn about people and their journey. Okay, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. As many of you are aware, our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. Please give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you are kept up to date on when new episodes are released. Social media is great. You can see who's coming on the podcast on Fridays, usually with uh, some photos on Thursday. Um, I always appreciate when guys share episodes or uh, retweet or whatever the case is, whatever the kids do these days, appreciate all the support and uh, the fan interaction. So hope to hear from you guys. Uh, Let's see, this is Monday's episode, so I I may or may not be too late to send in some questions for Bill Barnes on Wednesdays. He loves getting feedback from you guys. So by all means, send in topics, send in conversation. And if we can't get to it this week, well, We'll definitely address it in due time. So don't hesitate to reach out, guys. We love hearing from you, just like you hear from us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on the Get Home Safe podcast. Everybody, have a great weekend. Enjoy yourselves. We're getting back to normal, maybe a little slower than we'd like here in California. But hey, you look around the country, things are opening up, things are looking up, and uh, I hope for more good things around the corner. But anyway, thanks, Julian Barrett, for getting us around third and home safe for the weekend. Everybody be safe. Have a great time. I'm looking forward to you being back with us next Monday as we start a new week of shows. But guys, until then, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.